Welcome everyone to First Baptist Church of Shakota's audio sermon. My name is Jeff Holt. I am the student pastor here. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us. I do want to mention that we have added a church app and it's powered by the group at Tithely. If you search in your app store for church app-tithely, you'll be able to locate it. Once you have it downloaded, it will ask you for what church. You can simply tap nearby churches First Baptist Church of Shakota should appear. If not, simply type in First Baptist Church of Shakota, and it should appear then. You'll be able to listen to previous sermons, stay up to date on upcoming events, and we'll also give you our times of service and where our church is located. If you live in the Shakota area and you are listening to us, but you don't have a place to worship, we'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for our Sunday school time and at 10.55 for our worship time. This past Sunday, I was privileged to step into the pulpit and preach for us. It was a great time of Bible study as we looked at Nicodemus and Jesus. We will be reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. All right, so yesterday, me and my family, we decided to take a, uh, to take a trip to the gathering place in Tulsa. How many of you have ever been there? A show of, show of hands where we've you've been to the gathering place. The gathering place is this humongo park. Yeah, you've about as many of you have been there before I have, actually, too. So yesterday was the first time for us as well. And uh, the gathering place is this, this huge park uh, where you can take your family. It's very family-friendly. Uh, and they say very family-friendly because it's very stressful, if you've ever been there. Uh, for a family of six with four kids and all of them the age of, under the age of 10, and, you know, they decide they don't want to tell people that they're going off somewhere, and then you have to search for them and you know, that's a lovely time when your heart's about to be in your head. So, you know, we go there and, you know, on the way up there, the kids are asking, you know, because we've never been there before, they are asking, you know, is the gathering place, is it a, is it a fun place or is it boring, you know? And, uh, you, know, it's, you know, I don't want to reveal that just yet because I know I'm going to have a great time, but I don't know what to expect there either. Uh, but I know it's going to be a fun time for them because of all the part, uh, the, all of the swing sets and all of the, the other stuff, the family-friendly stuff that's there. You know, and as, I, as we're driving up there, I was sitting there, I was sitting there thinking, you know, as they're asking those questions, is it boring or is it an exciting place? And I'm sitting there thinking about how that could, how that could relate to us. And you know, and, and God is, and God is so good about using stuff like that as a life application. But you know, and I'm sitting there thinking. Is heaven going to be boring or is it going to be exciting? And, uh, you know, as a Christian, as somebody who has studied the Bible through and through, you know it's going to be exciting. I'm so pumped to go there. But, you know, for somebody who has never experienced true life in Jesus Christ, they don't don't know what to expect. Matter of fact, if you... If you watch any, any TV show today, any, any, any movie or anything like that, they've actually kind of romanticized hell. Like, you know, I can't wait to go there to be with my friends. We're going to have a great party, all this and that. And, and, you know, and it breaks my heart to see that kind of stuff whenever you hear, you know, people talk about what hell is and, and because the Bible is the exact opposite of the big party they think it's going to be. I, the Bible calls it a place of torment and a gnashing of teeth and it's so, you can smell the, the sulfur, which means there's fire there, uh, but yet, because uh, God's presence has been completely removed from hell, you don't see anything. There is no light, even from the flames that are, that are given off there. It's so dark that you are lonely, and you're depressed, and you're oppressed, and you're tormented, and you're always in pain. It is, is the worst place imaginable 
for anywhere to go to. And so you see a rainbow, which means that God is the living water throughout all eternity. We get to be in the presence of the Lord. Of course, in the book of Genesis, it's a promise that he gives to us. Let's not forget that. But the fact is, is that Jesus says that you can come to me and I will give you rest. And I'll give you rest for all eternity. And he says in John 10, 10, I come to give life and give life more abundantly, okay? So after the cross, we get to have this great experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. We get to have this great experience of experiencing Jesus for all eternity. But it starts with one pivotal moment. One moment in time changes the course of your history. And this guy comes up. Is this wonderful character in the book of, in John chapter 3. And I haven't turned there myself, so I'm going to go ahead and turn there. But this wonderful character in the Bible, in John chapter 3, is a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of, is one of those characters that is truly curious about stuff, okay? And he wants to know more about who Jesus is. He wants to know more about uh, these... Um, about who he is while he's walking on this ministry, while he's walking on this earth, okay? But there's one thing, there's one thing that holds him back from truly coming to following Christ. He's a Pharisee. He's a leader of the Jews. If you know anything about the Pharisees, they really just don't care about Jesus at all. They really don't care about what he is teaching uh, he's teaching love and you love others and he's talking about he's eating dinner with some sinners every single night it feels like and they just don't really care for the fact that Jesus is spending all of his time with these people that they have worked so hard to avoid. But to, on top of that, to add one more thing to their frustration is just, just a few verses before John chapter 3. If you actually look at it is whenever Jesus goes into the temple he makes a whip and he starts tossing over some temple tables and he says, my house will be a house of prayer. Yeah. And he, ch- he chases out all the money changers and the Pharisees are, are livid. They are so upset at this moment. Matter of fact, that's their currency. That is their big thing. And one time a year, people could come in and buy those offerings because they can't travel all the way to do uh, the Passover at the time. They can't do the Passover and carry all their luggage. They can't carry all their, their offerings. So these people will come into the temple, buy their offering, and then sacrifice it, which is an oxymoron because of the fact that it's not really a sacrifice. If you have to not carry it, if you don't have to take it, if it means nothing to you than an exchange of a coin, it's not really a sacrifice. But they do it anyways. And for them, it's like the Super Bowl. You know, it's what we spend the majority of our money on, which is ridiculous to me, but I, I won't go there. Anyways, but the fact is, is that we, this is their Super Bowl. One time a year, they get to make their money. Jesus comes in and knocks over a bunch of tables and says, my house will be a house of prayer. So, perceivably, that evening, this conversation happens. Now, I'm going to warn you. We're going to read 1 through 20, but we're going to break it down in just a few verses at a time. Okay, so we're not going to read it all all at once, but we're going to take our time through this and really just kind of soak in what Jesus truly has to say. So in (laughs) Jesus, in John chapter three, starting in verse one, I want to start with this. It says this, says there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher from God. 
who has come from God. For no man, for no one can perform these signs unless God is with him. And Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone, and then Nicodemus replies, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asks, can he re-enter his mother's womb for a second time and be born? And then all the people went, Bleh. I'm just kidding. Anyways, but there's a, I've never, okay, I have to ask a question. I love movies. I love watching movies, and I also love a good book. I haven't read a good fiction book in a long time. You know, uh, Lord of the Rings comes to mind whenever I read that. But if you read a good book or you watch a good movie, you know, a good movie or a good book has a good storyline, okay? And within that storyline, within that storyline is a theme. You know, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite, I'm, I'm, I'm about to say it from the stage, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Dark Knight. It's a Batman movie, okay? Please forgive me, but... You know, in that movie, it, it talks about mayhem and chaos in that movie. And that's the underlying theme in that movie is chaos. You know, another good movie is, is Inception. And it talks about the dream state. And it also, but the underlying theme there is family, okay? So in this story, John gives us an underlining theme, okay? It's the theme of secrecy. And you can see it right there. He doesn't hide it. And it's kind of funny that John doesn't hide the, the theme of secrecy. But he points it out very first thing in John chapter one or John 3 and verse 1. And what does it say? It says, Nicodemus came to him at night. He did not want anybody to know that he was going to have this conversation with Jesus. He was going to have this conversation with the man that the rulers of the Jews, they truly despise. But with all great intentions, with all understanding of, of coming to know Jesus for the first time, it starts with curiosity, doesn't it? You want to know more about who Jesus is in our life. You want to know why some Christians are truly passionate about what they do. Why do they serve so much at their church? Why do they give so much of their tithe and their money and their, and, and to the church? Or why are they out in the community so much? It's because of Jesus. It's what they are passionate about. Well, Nicodemus starts here. He knows, in verse 2, it actually says that Nicodemus says, you are from God. You are from God. There is no man that can perform these miracles if he is not from God. But then Jesus, he knows something. He knows what's going on. And you know, whenever you talk to somebody, whenever you have to be a good evangelist, whenever you speak to somebody, you have to have a thing called discernment. And when you have discernment, you have to read what the people are kind of thinking throughout their emotions, their body language, through their eyes. What is going on while you are talking to them? Can you go one step further or do you kind of need to back off just a little bit? Can you read the intentions of their questions? What are they leading to? This gift of discernment obviously is in Jesus because, well, he's, he's God. And so he has this discernment about Nicodemus, and he knows what is going on. He knows what Nicodemus is up to at this point. And so he looks at him, and he looks at Nicodemus in verse, and, uh, and, excuse me, in verse 3, and he says, unless you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now, there's, there's one word that he says, that Jesus says right before this. This is, this is I teach the students this. This is the, what they call a highlighter verse, okay? If, you, if he says truly, truly, or truly, or amen, amen, it's one of those moments that you need to circle that verse or highlight it, or you need to write it down in your journal if you're not a person that likes to write in your Bible. 
but it's a highlighter verse. This is something that is truly that important that he has to say, truly, truly, a man has to be born again if he wants to inherit the kingdom of God. What is this message that Jesus has been teaching all along? He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And what is the kingdom of God coming to earth? What's the receiving of the Holy Spirit? You receive the Holy Spirit, you're receiving the kingdom of God. He says that if the kingdom of God is near, and he says to Nicodemus here, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Why the change up? Well, then Nicodemus is curious in verse 4, and he says, how can this be? How can this be? How can I enter my mother's womb at such an old age? You know, some scholars believe that Nicodemus is up anywhere upwards in his 60s when he's asking this question. He's wanting to truly know what it means to follow God. I, 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 I'm just, you know, this respect back and forth that Jesus has with Nicodemus and Nicodemus has with Jesus you can see, the, you know, a lot, of, a lot of preachers don't really give the, the due necessary to Nicodemus here because he is truly curious about what it means to be a true follower of Christ. He doesn't know where to begin because he's been a Pharisee and all of these things that they have taught him is wrong. It's plain and simple. So as he looks and he asks, how can I enter into my mother's womb again? You know, he asks this really important question, what people call a display question. A display question is a, is a question you already know the answer to, but you want to see what the other person has to say. For an example, okay? I look at my kids and I say, hey kids, why haven't you done your homework yet? I already know that answer. It's because they've been watching YouTube and Minecraft videos all day long and they haven't done their homework. But that display question sets up to what they are going to say. I already know the answer, but I need to hear what they have to say, Okay? The answer is usually, I forgot. But in this, quest, in this time, Nicodemus asks, how can I enter in my mother's womb a second time? A display question. Jesus replies with something very profound. Okay? Let's pick it up in verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever, excuse me, Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I tell you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is of the ones who are born of the Spirit. Okay? So for those of, for those of you that have been born of the Spirit, you know what that means. It means that you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have prayed that prayer, and you have given your life over to Christ, okay? But there's one other thing that you have done, but if you have not done, I hope and pray that you will do it after this message. But the fact is, is that there's one other thing that Jesus wants you to do, okay? Now, I'm going to clarify some things along, as, along the way. To be a true follower of Jesus Christ you must have an inward impression and an outward expression. Let me explain. So to have an inward impression, that is calling upon the name of the Lord, as Romans 10, 13 exclaims. You shall call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. That is that inward impression. You call upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you have him in your life. 
And then after that, you start to bear the fruit that Paul talks about, the love, joy, peace, kindness, loveness, self-control, all of those joy, uh, the fruit of the spirits, you will start to bear those once you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. But then there's one other thing that he wants you to do, okay? That is to have that outward expression in which all the introverts go, and so the outward expression that he is talking about is baptism. Now, let me ask you this. Does baptism save you? Nope. Does calling, just saying a prayer, Jesus save me, and then nothing afterwards, does that save you? Nope. What does save you is when you call upon the name of the Lord and you genuinely give your life over to Christ and then you proclaim it to the world. Okay? Look what Jesus says here in, in, uh, in Luke 12, 8. And he says unto you, whoever confesses me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels and of God. He also says that in Matthew 10, 23, mentioned in two Gospels, that it's that important that you have that outward expression towards other people, that you are willing to give your life over to Jesus and then to say, Jesus is my Lord, I cannot wait to express it. It begins with baptism. That is the profession of faith. That is why ministers are so jump happy about baptizing you right after you've been saved so you can proclaim it to the world, that outward expression. Baptism alone does not save you. Having a meaningless prayer that you just did at an altar because you felt like that was the right thing to do does not save you. Coming to church week after week after week after week and being a leader and being a bad deacon or whatever it is of the church, that does not save you. The inward impression of the Holy Spirit coming into your life and you genuinely call upon the name of the Lord through grace, by faith, and then you're through your brokenness, you say, I need the Lord. That is what saves you. When you call upon Jesus and he comes into your life and there is that outward expression and people see it because it's the fruit of the Spirit. That's when you know, that's when people know that you are saved. He says, Jesus says, the people, you will know them because they bear much fruit. James says this, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, if you are truly saved, you will have an outward expression because you have an inward impression. You cannot wait to tell those about Christ. Few weeks ago, we had our director of missions here. He said that the night that he got saved, a few hours later, he had the opportunity to bring two of his coworkers to Christ. And it started with just saying, Nope, I don't want to do that anymore. He stopped those habits that he had. And he gave his life over to Christ and said, If you give me the opportunity, I will follow what you say. And this is what Jesus is saying here that as you give your life over to me, you will have that outward expression. But then he goes on, and he says something else that's truly profound, along with what he is saying here. Let's read on. Let's look at it. In verse, uh, in verse number 9, Nicodemus asks a very important question to kind of keep the conversation going, but Jesus was going to do it anyways. But here we go. He says in verse number 9, how can these things 
be? He asked that question because it's the first time he's ever heard of it. All of these pharisaical traditions that he has put his, 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 his idolatry in, he is kind of curious now, why is this happening? Why are you changing everything? Well, Jesus has not changed one single thing. Everything that he has mentioned here is also in the Old Testament. But he moves on. Verse 10, Jesus says this, Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? See, it's in the Old Testament. He proves my point right there. And Jesus replied, Truly, highlighter moment, I tell you, we speak what we do not know. We testify to what you have seen or what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you, can, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Let's read on. Let's continue on here. Verse 14. And it says this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so, son, so shall the Son of Man also be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, don't get lost in this, in this next verse here. Let's walk through it with me, okay? For God so loved the world that he loved his, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to, content, to condemn it, but to save it through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who believes in him is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one of the Son of God. Okay. There's a lot to unpack right there. I'm so excited to do it. You ready? Here we go. So Jesus says in this moment, because you are a teacher of the law, if you are a teacher of the Jews, you should already know these things, but because you don't, let me explain it to you. To be a true follower of me, to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, you must have faith. Why do we have to have faith? Okay? Well, if we don't have faith and we just take Jesus on his word, we might think that he is illogical or kind of a lunatic, you know? But because we have faith that he is who he says he is, that he is God, we take him on his word. We take him on his name of Jesus Christ. And it's because of what he says in those few verses. Look what he says, uh, I believe, in uh, verse 11. It says this, Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. Who is we and who is our? Well, of course, it's the Trinity. He's speaking in his Trinitarian form, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, the last time we heard Jesus talk, or, you know, God speak in this way, it was in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. He says, let us make man in our own image. It's not the first time God speaks in his Trinitarian form. You know, Jesus goes on and he later explains and he says that if two have the same testimony, it is fact. Well, guess what? There's three of them. And he says... That because we have the testimony, you can take us through this. What does he explain earlier in the chapter? He says, for those, you do not see the wind, but you, and you don't know where it goes or where it comes from. But you know it's there because of the evidence of it. You see the wind, you know it's there, but you don't see it. That is faith. What does Hebrews 11.1 1 say? Let me tell you. It says, now faith is the assurance of things that we hope for or believed and the convictions of things that we have not seen. It's the things that we believe in, that we don't see, that we know are true. They are fact. Let me tell you a little bit of, 
Let me tell you some facts real fast before we jump back into the rest of this. It says in the Bible that Jesus, after he was resurrected, he was seen by 500 different people at the same time. You know, there's a first century historian named Josephus who talked to a few of those people and said that they had saw Jesus after that fact. So we know for a fact that Jesus, and it was written down in a lot of his works, that Jesus is a true person. He did exist after the Romans had killed him. Fact. We know the things that we do not see are there because we firmly believe them because they're faith. But because they are also fact, we can take Jesus at his word. We have the hindsight of the Bible, which is 2020 for us. For a lot of people, it's not there. And he tries to tell this to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is really confused by it. So in order to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, you must have faith. Were you there at the very beginning when, when God laid the foundations of the world? Nope. Maybe a few. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. But the fact is, is that you weren't there. So you take the Bible at its word. You know, the first eyewitness is God. For the first five and a half days, it's God. Who did he tell this to? Told it to Moses so he could write it down. After day five is Adam. What did Adam do? Of course he's going to tell his lineage on the way down. This is what happened. This is how it came about. This is the reason why I don't have a belly button. You know, the fact is, is that we see here, that's a joke between me and the students there. We were talking about it earlier. Anyways, so, but the fact is, is that we see how the Bible is laid out for us. And if you, by faith, take that the Bible is inerrant, you know that it's true. It's by faith that we receive Jesus at his word. And Nicodemus, now there's one other thing here that I want to point out. What does Jesus do in these verses? He says that God sent his son, that he is the son of God. Jesus, at that moment, proclaimed that he is an equal to God. At that moment, he proclaimed that he is God, and he is the son of God. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus had the right to arrest him and put him to death. Nicodemus didn't move a muscle. Didn't say a single word at that moment. Because Jesus has him hooked. Jesus has him really kind of focusing in on what he's truly saying. Jesus is really kind of just digging deep because he knows the fact that Nicodemus came to him at night to hide this conversation from the other Pharisees. But in order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to have that outward expression because of the inward impression. But it's also because of faith that you don't hide the secret. Let me point out point number three before we read the final verses. It says this, to be a true follower of Jesus, to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, you must accept repentance. What is, what is the overwhelming ministry key here of Jesus? Repent for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God is near. What is, in my notes here, and I, I'm going to take a pause here. If you actually downloaded the app on your phone, I wrote these notes out for you in the app. So if you want to check it out. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, he says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. 
but who confesses for the sake of them has compassion. If you conceal your sin and you don't want to change away from it and you do not want to step away from your sin, if you don't want to step away from your idolatry, if you don't want to step away from the addictions that you have, you cannot receive full repentance. And repentance means that you turn away from what you know is separating you from God. And then you accept Jesus fully and wholeheartedly and begin to have that outward expression. And this is what Jesus says in those final verses. Verse 18, or verse 19. Listen to the wordage that Jesus uses here in verse 19. This is the judgment. That the light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by truth comes into the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. If you accept the repentance, if you repent of your sins, you begin to step into the light, which Jesus is the light. And what what does the book of Psalms say about this? He says, I will make your word a lamp unto my feet, and a light into my path. I will make your word a lamp unto my present and a light into my future. Whatever I do from this point on, I receive you as my, as my Savior. I repent of my sins because they've been exposed. It hurts a little bit because I've had to confess something to my wife or to my husband. I had to say something to my kids. I had to apologize for something that I did wrong 30 years ago. It hurts a little bit. But I know it's for my good. I know that I needed to stop watching this certain TV show because it continues to use God's name in vain. But it's so good, but I hate it. I don't want to watch it anymore, so I turn away from it. I completely turn it off. I get rid of it. I don't listen to a certain type of music, students, because it actually belittles the other person that it may be talking about. And I don't want that junk in my head. I get rid of it. I expose myself to the light because he is in the light. And if he is in the light, I want to be there also. As Jesus says, I have come into the world. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. It has exposed the deeds of men which are evil. But as we step into the light, God is good. And he takes care of us. And he peels back those layers of brokenness and hurt and shame and fear and doubt. And he brings us and walks us. And he steps into that lion's den with us. And he, he helps us through the furnace. And, he, and when we beg out to him, to him for not him to, re, to remove his spirit from us, he doesn't. And when we pray for our, our prodigal son or daughter, you know, they eventually they return in this life or the next, but they return to God. Because he is in the light, as we should be as well. But, just as I told you what hell was like in the very beginning, there are some, possibly even sitting in this church right here, 
that will experience the full condemnation of what hell is because they refuse the light. They refuse to see Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they refuse that outward expression because it may be too embarrassing or they're afraid they're going to offend somebody. And they just say, no. I, I guess I'm saved. I'm good enough. And that's where everything stops for them. And then they feel comfortable coming in here. Jesus says that is not true salvation. True salvation is found where I'm at. And you're not worried about what other people say. You are not ashamed of the gospel. So I hope and I pray that as you hear this, that as you understand what Jesus is talking about when he's talking to Nicodemus, that you decide to come into the light and ask for that forgiveness, that you decide that this is where it stops, right here and right now, that I'm done leading this life where I'm at, and Jesus, you can have it. I'm going to start following you. Let me read something to you real fast. This is found in John chapter 19, just a few chapters later. This is found in verse 38. It says, As this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission so that he came and took his body away. Listen to this part in verse 39. Nicodemus, who previously came to him at night, so that we know that this is the same Nicodemus, also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen and cloths and the fragrances and spices according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where the, he was crucified, a new tomb which had not been used. And they placed him there because of the Jewish day in preparation since, his, since the tomb was nearby. Same man that came to him secretly walks with another man to prepare Jesus' body. Repents, has faith, and begins his outward expression. All with just in a few years. Just in a few chapters of our Bible. Your outward expression could start here and now. It could start here with just proclaiming the name of Christ. Saying, yes, Lord, take me over. Guys, some of you have been a, been a Christian, but you have not begun that outward expression. It's time to come here and do so. It's time to step in there and proclaim it. First step. First command Jesus gives in his ministry. But it starts with you moving forward to proclaim the name of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this time that we can come here and that we can, that we can just take a minute and reflect on the words that you have given us. That because of your inward impression on us, that we have an outward expression. And it's through faith that we do these things. And it's because we accept your repentance. Accept the repentance. Father God, I pray that as the people that are sitting here, 
that they would have boldness to say that I am going to proclaim the name of Jesus for the first time. Maybe I need to come down to these altars and say, Father God, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. That I need to repent of these sins. That I need to step away from what I'm doing that separates me from you. It's been a long battle, and I hate it, but I love you. Maybe these are the words that somebody needs to say. Father, I pray that they give somebody the inspiration just to come forward and accept your love. Your yoke is light. You give rest to the burden. Father, for those who need comfort right now, because of some trials and tribulations that they're going through, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them comfort. That where they need love, they would feel the warmth and the kindness of your love. That when you spoke, galaxies are born. But when you whisper, your love is right there next to them. Father, thank you for the many things that you have blessed us with. Father, for those who need to come to you, let them come. Let them surrender all of it, no matter what it is. Let them come. Let them find you. Let them find freedom. We thank you, Father, for all that you have done. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. Join us again next week as Pastor Steve will be back to deliver a message from God. For more information and previous sermons, please check out our website at shakotafbc.com.